Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm delighted to share this series is in partnership with Heck. Being an independent and family-owned business, they pull out all the stops to bring that farmer's market quality to the supermarket shelf. Plant-based eating is on the rise, and heck are paving the way forwards when it comes to veggie sausages. They have the power to sway even the most adamant of meat eaters. Believe me, I've seen it. The impressively original flavors, the super green with spinach and kale, Indian-inspired Bollywood bangers, Thai-infused sweet fusion and fiery beetroot and horseradish. They are so incredibly tasty and versatile, I genuinely can't decide on a favorite. The range can be found online at heckfood.co.uk as well as in all major supermarkets. Hello and thank you so much for tuning in to Food for Thought, a podcast on a mission to equip you with all the evidence-based advice you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic and author of Renourish and Top of Your Game. In each episode, I'll be joined by special guests, all of whom can be considered authoritative voices in health, so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. As young women entering adulthood, we are constantly told how to not get pregnant. Contraception is drummed into us from a young age, and the fear of a pregnancy scare is all too real. But what happens when we finally hit that tipping point of wanting to have a baby? With one in every seven couples having difficulty conceiving, and the majority of women now having babies later in life than ever before, at what point is it necessary to start considering alternative fertility options? And to what extent can nutrition play a role in helping us to conceive? So joining me to discuss the facts about fertility is Dr. Zoe Williams, an NHS general practitioner and resident doctor on ITV's This Morning Show, who in a previous life was none other than Amazon in the TV show Gladiators. Hello, Zoe. Hi, Rhiannon. (laughs) 
<laughs> so exciting to finally be here. I know. And I think this is a topic that both of us have been wanting to discuss for quite a long time. And I think we'll start with the fact that times have really changed. Um, if you compare our grandparents' generations who were having kids in their late teens and their early 20s, so many women now are having babies at a later age. What, what do you think has caused this? Oh, I mean, it's so multifactorial, isn't it? You can't even really pick it apart. The world has just changed. Mm. Um, I guess, I think that's a really good analogy if we think about our grandparents. I grew up in Burnley in a small town in the northwest of England. (laughs) And back then, what would happen would be you go to school, finish school, get a job in a factory, work your way up in the factory, get married. You'd have choice from a small pool of your community. (laughs) Get married, have children. Mm-hmm. Work your way up, retire, have grandchildren, and yeah. that was it. And now, you know, we flee the nest, we go, everything takes longer, so we prolong our education, mm-hmm. we have careers that jump around, we move different places, we have an infinite pool of p- potential suitors. True. Um, yeah. So the world's just changed. We do everything later, we live longer, we look younger, we act younger, but unfortunately, our ovaries don't care. Well, no. I mean, what age is it that women naturally start to become less fertile? Because I think what you've just touched on there is a really important point that we're doing things later. But also, women now have a very different role in society than they did 20, 40, 60, 80 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Um, So fertility rates... On average, you know, obviously we're all different, tend to start to decline from the early 30s. Mm. And then people always have this 35-year-old cutoff. And, and it is quite accurate that from 35 onwards, for most of us, that decline in fertility picks up speed mm. and starts to go downhill much more rapidly. Yeah. And yeah, so a lot of women, including myself, find ourselves in a position where we are reaching the end of our fertility you know mm. the final five years or so and for whatever reason we haven't yet had children mm. and and time really is running out even though we feel so young because is it true that we're born with um, a certain amount of eggs and that's it we don't just suddenly create more throughout our lifespan that's absolutely right yes yeah. so the day we're born we have all the eggs that we will ever have we have millions um, <laughs> and in fact we've already lost some eggs we have more eggs a month before we're born than the no. day that we're born. Wow. And, yeah, so those numbers deplete throughout our life um, until the point we reach menopause, which is when we have about a 1,000 eggs left per ovary and we're no longer fertile. Gosh, I mean, so what age is it for a female then where they're optimally fertile or does it vary? Because I hear stories of women having babies in their 40s as well, so it must be quite individual too. So I think, yeah, it is individual. And I think that's the thing we mustn't be too swayed by the positive success stories that we hear Mm. because the number of times I've been told by my friends with good intentions that, you know, Zoe, you'll be fine, you'll be fine because you're fit, you're healthy, you've Mm. taken care of yourself and I've got a friend and she was 45 and she had twins and if she can do it, you can do it. Mm. And unfortunately, that's not actually the case for most women. Mm. Most women beyond the age of 45 will not be able to get pregnant and actually beyond the age of 40 for the majority of us it's it's going to be difficult and there's a lot of emphasis on women always but what about men's fertility too just how important is is their health 
Yeah, I'm really glad. I'm really glad you asked that. Yeah. So there are some some stark differences between the fertility of women and men. Okay. So we already mentioned that women are born with all the eggs they're ever going to have, and yeah. the numbers can only go in one direction. And men produce new sperm every day so it's different and they can continue producing sperm for a very very long time and I sometimes give the analogy of um, a woman's fertility is like a, a huge warehouse with all the eggs that mm. they lose quality with age the longer they're sat there and you lose them they deplete whereas men are born what men more it's more like they have a factory that can continually <laughs> keep them. producing sperm but still as that factory gets older and gets tired the, the products that it produces, the sperm, it produces less of them and they're less quality, less good quality. So beyond the age of 45, a man's fertility definitely starts to decline as well. I'm so glad you're mentioning that in a way because people don't talk about men and I know a lot of the time that they can make very different changes with their lifestyle to obviously enhance their fertility as well. Do you see a lot of men in your private practice that are concerned about fertility or have questions about it? So... I actually don't do any private practice. I only do NHS. Um, And it's not that often I see men talking about fertility. However, timing-wise, I did see one yesterday. No, (laughs) no. And and I think... I bit, you know, I bit my tongue because I'm professional and actually he was my patient, not his partner, mm. um, and I did the right thing. But I could feel my blood starting to boil ever so slightly during the cons- consultation because... The first thing he said is, my wife's trying to get pregnant. I was like, okay. Mm. And she's been struggling. So she sent me along to do my test because she can't get pregnant. I was like, okay. I mean, she's she's a little bit older. She's 40. He was 42. Mm. Um, she's 40. So we understand it can be difficult. But she's had some tests and she's fine. And we spoke about that. But he just, he very much, and you know, it's not his fault. It's mm. the society thinks the same way. He very much believed that this pregnancy issue was all down to his wife. And and it's not. And no. I think people are starting to wake up to the fact a little bit more that the male factors are important. Yeah. But the male factors are, are very important. Yeah. Um, and especially when it comes to fertility, but also things like miscarriage. But often people don't realise that a large proportion of miscarriages are because there was something untoward with the sperm that fertilised the egg. So male factors are important when it comes to miscarriage as well. But, you know, we do get burdened with a lot of this as women. Mm. But equally, sometimes in some respects, and especially when it comes to fertility, I think men do get the downside as well. So Mm. I have a friend who's in a very very similar position to me. I know Mm. we're going to talk about my fertility journey afterwards. But he's the same age as me, similar Mm. position, wants to have children, Mm. hasn't met a partner. And he Mm. says to me, well, you know, at least you have all these options. As a man, Mm. they're very restricted as to what they can do to take fertility into their own hands if they don't have a partner. That's so interesting. We'll definitely have to come and touch on that. Um, And I think if we go back to for couples at the moment who are trying to conceive, at what point in a woman's menstrual cycle should they be having sex to, you know, maximise their chance of getting pregnant? Mm, So this is a really good question. And I always feel I have to be careful when I answer this question because, you know, as as a GP, the advice we tend to give is just have sex regularly, two or three times a week. Um, But people do want to know when is the best time. Mm. 
And the reason I say we have to be careful is because I always fear that I give people this advice, they act upon it, and then because as you know, we're all very different. Mm. So this is not a rule that will fit everybody and women have different cycle lengths. My concern is people then follow that to the letter, not have sex outside that time and actually not be having sex in their fertile window. Um, But but I will tell you the the detail. um, So there are between six and seven days usually within a woman's cycle that she can get pregnant. Which isn't as much as people think because growing up you think, oh goodness, I can get pregnant any second. Exactly. We're led to believe growing up that one slight slip and that's it. You'll be pregnant. Um, Which is one of my bugbears actually. Yeah, me too. Let's come on to that as well after. Can we talk about fertility education? We should, yes. 100%. Great. Um, So in order for pregnancy to occur, obviously, there has to be an egg that has left the ovary and there has to be live sperm that can reach the egg. Yeah. So once the egg's released from the ovary, as 24 hours before it's rendered useless. And sperm, once it's inside the woman, has about five to six days mm. before it dies off. So therefore, you have about six to seven days. Right. Now, so therefore, we need to know when ovulation is. Mm. And um, as a bit of a guide, a woman usually will ovulate around two weeks before the next period mm. so it's between 10 and 16 days before the next period um, but it can be difficult to know exactly when that is mm. the time to have sex is the three days before you ovulate that's when yeah. you're most fertile but this is when we need to know and bring that education subject in because women are not really taught about when they ovulate how do you know there's some really good apps now I think out there I and mean, I use one called flow which I love yeah but it's really good for women to know even how long their cycle is yeah and I think it's important to learn for both preventing pregnancy but then actually optimizing your pre- chances of pregnancy mm. when the time is right and there are signs of um, ovulation mm. we don't all necessarily have awareness of them but there are things that women can do yeah. um so checking basal body temperature is yeah. one thing so you need to use a digital thermometer mm. um and basal body temperature is first thing as you wake up in the morning before you do anything mm. and around the time of ovulation you can expect your body temperature to rise ever so slightly by 0.2 centigrade mm. um you can notice changes in your cervical mucus as yeah, well yeah. so in the discharge that you have yeah and the day that you're the most most fertile is the day they describe it sometimes as egg white discharge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So instead yeah. of being sort of thick and sticky, yeah. the discharge is much more wet, watery, yeah. slimy, like egg white. So mm. if people start to recognise that that happens, so that's exactly the day they should have month, sex. That's the, that's the day. That's the <laughs> jackpot day. Um, and then there are also more subtle signs. Like some yeah. women get something called Mittelschwert's pain. Which Ooh, is, it's a mild pain on one side and it's actually the egg being released. They yeah. can feel it, wow. Yeah, they can feel it. Um, bloating, mm. breast tenderness, changes in mood mm. or increased sex drive. So subtle yeah. changes. So I think having something like Flow, yeah. which is a really great app where you can log all of those different symptoms or how mm-hmm. you're feeling, you can start to learn when ovulation is likely to be for you. And the yeah. more information you give it, the more accurate it it's likely to be, you, which is good. But I think that comes with a warning. Never trust these things 100% because mm-hmm. if you're relying on them in totality and they're yeah. not quite accurate, yeah. you might be shooting yourself in the foot. And there are so many factors why you can't conceive, aren't there? I mean, do, do STIs play an impact in this as well? Things like smoking, of course. So many factors. Yeah. So, I mean, thinking about 
women yeah. with their warehouse. We're born with that warehouse and the quality mm-hmm. of the goods, that the, the best quality when you're first born. I'm loving um, this analogy. It's so, so good. Okay. Uh, and there's there's nothing really you can do to give yourself extra eggs. You know, you can't make your warehouse any bigger and you can't make it any better than it is when it starts off. All you can do is damage your warehouse and smash some of the contents so as you go through life there's nothing you can do to stop the deterioration and to stop it aging and Mm. to stop the warehouse being less full and more and more a bit more bashed up Mm. but there are things you can do that will accelerate that and those are the less healthy behaviors so again we're talking about eggs in the ovary here so if you smoke for example well you're going to damage your goods Mm. if you binge drinking can be quite harmful something that i'm sure many of us are guilty of um eating foods that are bad for our health. Oh, the diet I see all the time. Even stress, I think, can be huge. Stress is a big one. Inactive lifestyles, Mm. drugs, even environmental factors of pollution and things like that. Yes, we actually had an episode about pollution and we didn't go into fertility as such, but that's an area that's fascinating. Yeah. So if you think anything that is going to damage or speed up, we talk a lot now about chronic inflammation and that plays a role in speeding up the rate at which we're losing our eggs. Mm. So so those are factors. And then you mentioned STIs. Yeah. So that can reduce fertility in a different way. So the, the egg comes from the ovary, has to get caught by the fallopian tube, travel along the fallopian tube and then into the womb, which is where we want it to meet the sperm. Mm. And things like chlamydia and gonorrhea, certain STIs can cause infection and can cause um we talk about the fallopian tubes getting blocked or getting Mm. damaged and scarred in some way and that can affect the ability of the tube to transport the egg to where it needs to be and also increase the risk of ectopic pregnancy as well Mm. if the egg ends up in the wrong place but the sperm still manages to get to it then you could have an embryo that's created outside of the womb and that's very dangerous and i mean this is when it comes back to education at school or in childhood because we're taught about not to get STIs, but we don't know the impact that it could also have on fertility. We're taught about um, what a sperm is and what an egg is, but again, we don't really know much about our own bodies. And it's amazing as women that we're even having this conversation now on a podcast because it's something I really think we should know more about. But one particular area that I find extremely um, difficult to address in my clinic and I recently completed my pre and postnatal um, from nutritional aspects is the issue of the subject of weight. Mm, Now, it's a tough one to address because I'm a big believer there is no one right weight. And obviously we have to have a BMI. We know you can be healthy at various shapes and sizes. But one of the things that kept coming up again and again and again was healthy weight, healthy weight, good BMI Mm -hmm. throughout the entire course. Mm -hmm. Can you divulge on that a little bit more with fertility? Yeah, and you know, obviously... I agree with you that you can be healthy at different shapes and sizes and weight on its own is not the, the be all and end all when no. it comes to when it comes to health. Um, and when it comes to fertility, that is also true. But it has to be said with fertility, it is an independent risk factor. So mm. if you were to take a group of people who are very healthy, you know, they 
they're physically active, they eat well, they eat good nutrients, good quality food, um, they don't smoke, they don't drink too much alcohol. And one group had a higher BMI because of carrying too much fat on their body, yeah. then you would expect there to be higher rates of infertility or fertility problems in that yeah. group. And I think when we're talking about this, we have to be very sensitive and careful. I agree. And when I talk to my patients, I try to talk about it as something positive. Mm. Uh, if somebody is carrying more fat on their body than is healthy and they feel that there is something they could do about that, it's like, well, there is something you can do about this. If you were sat in front of me and you you were a healthy weight, yeah. then that's one less thing that's within your control to change. Yeah. And, um, and I get positive reinforcement from that. I think... It does actually, it's very motivating to people for people yes. who've been trying to lose weight and not succeeding. Mm. This tends to give them that bit of a motivation. It's mm. something you can do with your partner because the man's weight is important as well. Yes, um, the quality of the egg and the sperm, as you say, the warehouse and the products produced. Exactly. If you're going to maintain a healthier body, then surely it would be better product. Exactly. And I've seen really people who've been trying for a long time to get pregnant mm who've decided to tackle their health in general but including weight loss and at just a few kilos relatively small amounts of weight loss then seeing success with pregnancy wow. there's evidence out there to support it as well bariatric surgery now one indication for bariatric surgery for people who are you know at significantly high weight um bariatric surgery is a good treatment for infertility Interesting. and yeah and i've had patients who've opted for that as well. well that's the thing but there's also the other flip end of the spectrum that unfortunately I, I also see a great number of patients in my private practice uh, with eating disorders who've lost their periods uh, known as amenorrhea mm-hmm. being underweight um, why does this then impact again on fertility okay I think to understand this part you need to understand mm. a little bit more about the complexity of what goes on with hormones in our yes, body. let's start there, <laughs> definitely. And hmm, how do you explain this in simple terms? Because this is something that is really confusing. But mm. basically, if you think you've got two different areas in your brain, the hypothalamus and the pituitary gland, mm-hmm. that communicate with each other yes. via hormones. Mm-hmm. And then your ovaries also produce hormones, mm-hmm. estrogen and progesterone, mm-hmm. um, as well as maturing eggs and releasing eggs. Now... They all communicate with each other. So the hypothalamus tells the pituitary to produce its hormones, which tell the ovaries to produce its hormones and mature an egg. And then they all, what we call the negative feedback loop as well. So if you have high amounts of estrogen and progesterone, then that feeds back to the brain. We've got enough now, thanks. Turn it off. So anything that interferes with any part of that, whether that be stress, whether that be under or over under or overweight whether that be um extreme amounts of physical activity then that can interfere with that and when it comes conversation breaks when it comes to eating disorders and people who are at very low body weight it's the it's thought to be primarily the hypothalamus the part in the middle of the brain that stops signaling to the pituitary of the brain and the ovaries to do the stuff that's required to get pregnant so Uh, and we don't know whether is it just the weight is it the stress that comes with having an eating disorder because you know obviously that's a huge component is it the over exercise is it a combination of all three Mm. and other factors as well but that's what switches it off well this is when amenorrhea is is so complex and it's so much more than just like you say one factor if you're looking at body fat percentage I often try and explain that of course if it is a little bit low your body's not going to feel I use it very simplistic 
realistically is protected to want to carry a baby. So if you're getting periods, that's a good sign that your body fat percentage is just about okay. We're looking yeah. very basically. Yeah. Not being on the pill. Yeah. And I think that I think that extrapolates to how we're feeling generally. Mm. If you look at yourself and think, is my body a good place to grow a baby right now? Yeah. Is it a healthy environment? <laughs> mm. Then it probably is. Whereas if you look at your body and you're able to identify that for whatever reason it's not, whether that's because you're highly stressed, whether that's because you're smoking loads mm. of cigarettes, whether it's because you, you're carrying too much fat or you're not exercising, for whatever reason, you know, then you're, you're likely to, your fertility is likely to be lower yeah. than it would be at its optimal. I mean, let's talk a little bit about my favourite role, which is the nutrition role <laughs> when it comes when it comes to fertility, because I know it's something that people can actively do, yes. like you said earlier, and that's that's really motivating. How much advice is out there for women when it comes to conceiving that you know a doctor can give to someone about nutrition? Um, very little, I would say. Okay. I think. The general advice that every doctor will give to a woman who is trying to conceive, I would imagine and hope, yeah. is that it's about, like anything else really, just being in optimal health. So eating yeah. a good, balanced, varied diet, yeah. not necessarily cutting out any food groups unless there's an additional purpose for mm-hmm. that, isn't it, for an intervention, and supplementing the diet with folic acid and vitamin yes, D. Yes, very important. <laughs> and obviously before trying to conceive as well to build up stores, which I don't think people Absolutely. know. Yes, yeah. So if you're anyone who is either trying to get pregnant or kind of, mm, we'll see what happens. If it happens, it happens. Mm. You should be taking folic acid and vitamin D. Yeah, 100%. And I think in terms of vitamin D as well, what we were reading up on is that it's the receptors found in the ovaries and testicles that are also involved in this process and they are switched on with vitamin D. So it's it's remarkable that your diet alone, and actually most people in this country are deficient in vitamin D. Yes, so. definitely in the winter months yeah, for sure. Please supplement in the winter months. One other thing that I have found and noticed as well, and this applies to men. Remember, it's a 50-50 thing here, guys. Yes. Your diet affects the quality of your sperm. So we're looking at zinc for sperm production and motility. Um, again, folate is important for the DNA of the sperm. And don't forget, if you're doing a plant-based diet or you've made a drastic change in your diet recently, this could also impact your fertility. Mm -hmm. I think it can be very difficult sometimes if you're missing out on B12 or omega-3s. I think that's really good advice. Anybody who is trying to conceive who has changed their diet significantly in the past few years, especially if that is excluding meat or dairy or carbs or whatever, then Mm. it's definitely worth getting some advice from somebody like yourself, a registered nutritionist or a dietitian, just to see if you should be supplementing. Because although, you know, for the typical fit, healthy person who eats everything, <laughs> yeah. you may not need to supplement other than the folic acid, the vitamin D. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you don't want to a... over-supplement. So I see so many people that take a multivit and then they take a pregnancy yes, pregnancy yes, multivit. Yeah. And like, you're really exceeding the dose you need there, yeah. which can be detrimental. And in pregnancy as well, you mustn't take anything with vitamin A. You mustn't supplement with vitamin A. So, so generally, the safest thing to do for a woman Mm. Uh, is take something the the pills you know the vitamin pills that are designed for preconception and pregnancy but just that one please and just that one (laughs) (laughs) hold up 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And what about um, when it comes to menopause? Now, I get a lot of wonderful women coming in, and it's a very difficult time, I think, between the ages roughly of 45 to 55. And as we've discussed, they perhaps are unable to have children naturally since they've stopped their periods. What hormonal changes are happening here when women hit this age? Yeah, this is something that is finally hitting the headlines. Yes. Finally being talked about, which is great because it's something... We all have to go through it at some point as females. Exactly. More than 50% of the population will experience this. (laughs) So the fact that it's been shunned and called the change for so long... um, um, but it is getting it, it's getting its airtime mm. now. Um, so so yeah, actually we're talking about menopause, but then there's also perimenopause. Oh, discuss. Yeah, so perimenopause. The word peri means around. So mm-hmm. people can actually start experiencing perimenopausal symptoms um, much earlier, even within their thirties. And usually at that stage, the estrogen levels may not be affected all that much. But natural progesterone levels, the other hormone that the ovaries produce, mm. can be starting to decline. Yeah. So, so some women get symptoms much earlier of perimenopause. Yeah. But as you say, menopause tends to be commonly after the age of forty-five. The most common age is fifty-one. Yeah. Um, but but still can happen wow. sooner. Gosh, it's so it's so so interesting. And what about? Um, I know there's so much to touch on, but it, it's still a taboo topic. Things even like IVF, um, HRT. Let's start with HRT. We're running out of time, aren't I know we? we are, and I want to <laughs> I want to get HRT in. <laughs> Go for it. So HRT, um, yes, yeah, something that's been in the press quite a lot over the past few years. Um, my short summary, which I'll give you at the beginning, Love. is if you are a woman mm. and you are experiencing symptoms of the menopause, yeah. And those symptoms don't have to be hot flushes and Mm -hmm. sweating and night sweats. Whatever you're experiencing, whether it's low mood, whether it's agitation, anxiety, dizziness, weight redistribution, whatever it is, then for most women, if those side effects are having a detrimental effect on your quality of life, HRT may be the solution and you should be able to have a discussion. There's been a lot of fear around the risks of taking HRT Mm -hmm. and the 
potential increased risk of breast cancer and I'm sure you've talked on your podcast a lot about the differences between relative risk and absolute risk Mm -hmm. the absolute risk increase of breast cancer is very very small and in fact really on this significant after the age of 60 so for women below the age of 60 taking HRT there isn't a significant increased risk of breast cancer when you compare it to the symptoms and the misery that those symptoms often cause yeah and I think again just to reiterate if your diet and lifestyle are good as well you can often ease symptoms of all of this happening in the first place. And, and as an example, it's been said that if prescribing a woman HRT makes her more breast aware mm. and she therefore does the checks every month that she wasn't exactly. doing previously, yeah. there could be an overall reduced risk in that person, yeah. not of getting breast cancer, but of you know dying from breast cancer because they're more likely to detect it early. Exactly. Now, for those couples out there that are delaying having children, I want to talk about your experiences in a minute and draw that in as well. How long should people try to conceive naturally before opting for a different method? Okay. Again, there's no size fits all here and it partly depends, I think, on the age of the mm. couple. Okay. Um, but if, say, we were to take a couple in their early 30s yeah. and they've stopped their contraception and they're trying to conceive, usually we would say reassess it a year. Give okay. it a year, and between yeah. up to ninety percent, eighty to ninety percent of couples will conceive in that year. Yeah, we di- we tend to diagnose infertility or subfertility when it's been two years. Okay, um, but I kind of feel there's a bit of a grey area in between, and yeah, I think it seems that way. Yeah, I, I, I think you know, as a GP, if I'm seeing a couple and they're in their late thirties, after a year. I'm going to start doing the tests and mm. referring. Mm. Whereas if they're in their early 20s, it's still based on what that couple's mm. wants and needs are. But I'm more likely to say, well, perhaps, you know, yeah. give it a little bit more time. Because when does it come? What are the other options out there? So let's talk about options for couples and also options for single parents. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, the the tests to find out what the problem is. Yeah. So say, for example, the problem is a male factor. It's a problem with the sperm, either that the sperm, there aren't enough of them or they're not moving well enough. Then there are quite simple techniques where the, the sperm can be taken from from the person and you know right. they can use IVF yeah. and they can introduce the sperm and the egg that way sometimes there's a blockage and the sperm isn't being ejaculated so the, oh the, the man's ejaculating but there's no sperm in there mm. even though there is sperm in the testes mm. so men get ready to cringe in that scenario wow. a needle can be put into the testicle oh, and the sperm goodness. can be taken out <laughs> you think of the stuff we as women go through true true it's nothing sorry men actually don't have my sympathy there <laughs> can we also actually just a shout out to all the men that are listening yes, to this yes. podcast well because I bet a lot of men have switched off and skipped this one because they think, yeah. oh, it's fertility, it's not no, for me. Yeah. No, so yeah. well done. Yeah. Um, and then if it's a female factor, again, it completely depends on what that female factor is. But a lot of people are going with IVF now. It's, yes. IVF rates are going up and up and up. Mm-hmm. And I've even heard some people, this concerns me a bit, saying, oh, you know, it's fine, we're going to wait a bit because we've always got IVF <gasps> if we're struggling. Um, it's so an expensive struggle, that. It's expensive and it doesn't work for everybody. No. That's the thing. IVF doesn't work for everyone. Beyond the age of 35, as a woman's fertility declines, the chances of having successful IVF decline as well, you know. Those and the individual are... health status, if you're suffering, I don't know if you have an IBD, irritable bowel disease or something, mm-hmm. that's also going to affect your 
your likelihood. Yeah. So to rely on something like that is it, it's drastic. And obviously you can adopt, you can foster, but you've been very vocal about your own journey. So considering egg freezing, mm-hmm. what do you... Well, what made you begin even this option? Because I remember this is why I wanted you on so badly yeah. to talk about this. Yeah, so um, so my mum, when I was 34, 35, I came out of a relationship. And my mum, who left school at the age of 16, said, Zoe, you should freeze your eggs. I know you really, how important, I know how important it is for you to be a mother. Why don't you freeze your eggs? Well, I was outraged. I'm like, oh, Mum, I'm a doctor. I know all about egg freezing. I know my chances. It's fine. I have time. It's fine. And whenever she tried to bring it up, I'd sort of, you know, say I was having none of it. And then this is the sad bit. My mum passed away a couple of years ago. And um, strangely, about a month after that, I was contacted by The One Show and asked to film a video about egg freezing oh goodness and I said how did you know this is something I was thinking of doing they said oh we didn't pure chance um so I spent the whole day researching it filming about it and at the end I thought it's a no-brainer I need to do this I'm 37 yeah I need to do this and I need to do it now and it just made me think well if I'm a doctor I've got great friends we talk about everything if I wasn't actually really aware of the facts until I spent that time filming that documentary then what chance does everybody else have so I decided to freeze my eggs and be quite vocal about it and share my story and um, I have to say I've had really positive feedback from doing so well I think again it's something that is quite um, again taboo Mm -hmm. for some reason And I think it almost seems out of reach or not an option. So is it something that most doctors won't discuss initially with females that come in with reproductive concerns? Or is it something that is left until a last resort? I think, to be honest, because egg freezing isn't available on the NHS, Mm. except for in very rare circumstances, um, it's therefore something we're not really taught about or trained. Because it's not something that... And it's not really seen as sort of mainstream healthcare no. yet. Yeah. Although I think it should be. Mm. Um, but I think the main reason you, your typical GP won't necessarily know, be that knowledgeable about yeah. it because it's not something we can offer to our patients. No. Well, I think it's really admirable that you're speaking out vocally about it as well. And I think a lot of people listening will probably be able to relate or know someone and that's going to be very comforting to them that it's an option that's an incredible amazing option that we have out there what about surrogates mm, really interesting i'm hearing mm. about there's a real rise in use of surrogates so mm. i think in the past couple of months three people that i know personally have told me that they know somebody who's using amazing. a surrogate um it's quite tricky in mm. the uk Partly because of the the laws around surrogacy. You can't pay a surrogate in the UK. You can only pay their expenses. And the legalities over who is the legal guardian or parent of that child. So the surrogate mother, up until I think it might be 14 weeks, is the legal guardian and can change her mind. And that even though that baby isn't biologically hers... The law would say that if she that, changed her mind and wants to keep the baby, she could. Quite terrifying for and anyone. And she's on the birth certificate. In that position. Yeah. So it's yeah. really difficult. So I think a lot of people 
use surrogates abroad. So the other two, yeah. the two of the couples are using surrogates either in Canada or America. Wow. £25,000 there. Oh my goodness. Okay, mm. so that is a costly thing. And for the men out there, what about sperm donors? Just to touch on that, because that's obviously the male point of view. Exactly. So sperm donor, so that's something that is much more straightforward, yeah. um, is much cheaper. There are sperm donation clinics in London, across the UK. Um, usually each fertility clinic will be affiliated with mm. one. Um, and But what's mind-blowing about sperm donation, because this is something I've looked into as well, because I am considering going the next step. Yes, and, and that's what I wanted to ask you about. Being a sole parent. Mm. So I've looked into it a little bit, but you it's the choice that you have. I mean, how do you choose? Well, that didn't Joey do it on a Friends episode? Oh, did didn't he? I don't know if I've made this up. Please, if you're listening, when, if you could kindly write your review and answer this for me <laughs> did joey go into a sperm bank maybe, i can't remember maybe, maybe i think if you're a couple in some ways you're probably going to try and choose somebody who resembles the male partner as much yeah. as possible yeah. um not just in looks but you know in personality as well um for me going into this alone i keep sort of changing my mind about mm. what things would be mm. important is it that they're that they're kind, but I think if they're donating their sperm, they're probably, they're probably quite kind. kind or, you know, destitute. I have a friend who's also considering this at the moment, and she was actually saying that you can even know what their op- occupation is, what they do, their interests, like you say, their hobbies. So, And sometimes yeah. you can, they'll write a letter. Sometimes you can even listen to their voice and they explain why they've don- donated sperm, especially in Scandinavia. Wow. They do that. But my deliberation, people keep saying, because I'm mixed race, people yeah. can't see me at the other end of the podcast. So my dad's Jamaican and my yeah. mum was English. Um, and I've always thought, hmm, you know, well, choosing ethnicity, should I mix it up? Oh, How about getting some, mixing wow. some Asian in there as well? Yeah. Or, I don't know, but I think I've come to the conclusion now that when it comes to, and you know, that's not the only thing that's important. But that's but, a fascinating point. You could really choose. Yeah, but I think if my child's not going to know their biological father, they're only going to know me, then maybe the more they look like me, mm-hmm. and obviously it's still a guesswork, they might end up white, they might end up black. No. Um, so I think I've maybe decided that that's a nice way of looking I may, at I it. I may go for somebody who's yeah. mixed race. Yeah. I mean, why why not, Zoe? Definitely. I think the last question, moving on from that, would probably be about contraception as well. Yeah. I think there's more people scared about contraception causing infertility. Mm. And I know I see a lot. I've been on the pill for so many years. Yes. Has it ruined my ovaries lazy? Yeah. That came up last year. So last year I made a documentary um, for Horizon, which was all about the pill. And we did some surveys. And that was one of the, one of the biggest fears around the pill was that yeah. it would affect fertility. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you 100% being on the pill for a long time does not reduce your fertility Brilliant. in the future. Brilliant. Because isn't there a maximum amount of time that you're meant to go on then come off? Nope. There you go. You can take it. You 10 can take years it. plus. You can take it for 10 years plus and be absolutely fine. I think one of the concerns sometimes people have, and this one is a valid concern, is in people who have endometriosis, yes. which can affect fertility later on. If they've taken the pill, then that might mask the symptoms. They might not know they have endometriosis and therefore they may not know that they're at high risk of fertility problems 
because they've been masking it with a pill. So that's a difficult one. Yes. And it's not a one size fits all. Because no. if you stop taking the pill, you might then get the symptoms of endometriosis. It might get worse. It's a difficult one. So just to put that caveat in there. But the pill itself does not okay. affect fertility. I'm sure that's going to relieve. Like, I think half of the problem is that people don't know about their cycle because they're on the pill as well. Yeah. So like we said, it comes back to that fundamental education of, well, if I understand how many days my cycle is, I know what's going on. I'm not relying on an artificial method. And sometimes people say, because when you're on the pill, you don't ovulate. Mm-hmm. So sometimes people say, well, does that mean I'll have more eggs? I'm keeping all of my eggs. I'm looking <laughs> after them. But it's unfortunate that egg that you would have lost, you lose yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Zoe, I could ask you so much more, but I have questions from my followers to ask you. So I okay. must I must prioritise that. <laughs> <laughs> Very kind, really. I'm trying my best to be as considerate. So Svetlana has said, how accurate is natural cycles? Oh, this is another app for preventing and planning pregnancy. I like the idea of not using contraception, but I'm a bit apprehensive. Yes. So Natural Cycles is an app. You take your basal temperature Mm. every morning and you put that into the app and it uses an algorithm to then tell you which days you're fertile and which days it's safe to have sex. Now, we actually covered this in the documentary. I don't mm. think it aired in the documentary, but we, I did meet the person who developed this. Oh, cool. Very smart, lovely lady. And they're saying that if used correctly, as in you don't have sex when you can't have sex, mm. then it's as effective as the pill. Um, but it has come under some criticism from other people saying that's not the case. And now that it's been around for a while, it does appear that pregnancy rates are higher than they are on the pill. My advice would be, by all means, use it. Mm -hmm. If you're the type of person who's thinking, don't really want to have a baby this year, I'd rather Mm. it be next year, but if it happens, it's not the end of the world. But if if it would be a tragedy to get pregnant... Use yeah. something else. Okay, good advice there. Brinda. Oh, that's an interesting name. Brinda. Brinda. Yeah, nice. She has said, I want to have children, but I'm currently single. So it's, as we've actually just discussed together. Mm-hmm. But can I do anything to prolong my fertility? I hear you, girl. Yeah. You sound like you're in the same position as me. And just to jump back to a question you asked me right at the beginning, mm. which is people often assume that women are delaying having children for their careers yeah. and I hate that because yeah. although I'm sure there are some women that are but when you go to um, egg freezing clinics and ask women why they're freezing their eggs because they haven't found a partner exactly it's mostly predominantly Don't because we haven't for found the a wrong partner person for the wrong reasons exactly so so Brinda um there's nothing you can do to to make the the eggs in your warehouse any better but what you can do is have a healthy lifestyle to slow down the rate at which you know they're declining so that's the first thing to say um and the other thing will be egg freezing but of course i did that and i recommend it as a good thing to do but there are no guarantees with it it's very expensive and for the five five and a half thousand pounds it cost me to freeze my eggs there's about a 30 percent chance that those seven eggs will give me a baby in the future so it's something you do have to really weigh up carefully yeah of course and always remain as optimistic as possible as well and get the right advice around you so really well answered zoe and ursula said i'm about to start trying for a baby how many days after having sex will a pregnancy test be able to Tell me if I'm pregnant. Ooh. Yes, it, it all depends on the test. They're so clever now, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, <laughs> some of them, it's, you know, it used to be, we, what we used to say, the, the advice was, don't do a pregnancy test. If you miss your next period, um, 
then do one after that, so after yeah. four weeks. But they're very sensitive now, so they can even test after a few days. And it's all in writing. It actually writes and spells it out as you are pregnant or you are not. It's incredible. And they're very good. So they're detecting the certain levels of a particular hormone in your urine. And sometimes people come to the GP and say, I've done three pregnancy tests, they're all positive, but I'm not sure, can you check? Now, in the GP practice, we use these tiny little sticks Dip that sticks. are not yeah. very good at all, actually. If you've done three at home your tests are better than ours you're pregnant wow so it depends on the test (laughs) (laughs) it's amazing you get quite a few people like that um the last one we've got is from Kirsty, who said um i had the coil fitted a few months ago and i'm getting the most painful periods oh Kirsty, i'm so sorry almost to the point where i want to get it taken back out will it get better okay so when she says the coil, there are two different types of, yeah, of imp- implants. She hasn't specified. Mm. So there's there's the copper coil, which from what she's saying, I suspect this may be. Mm. So the copper coil is something, it's completely hormone-free type of contraception, which makes it popular for some women. And it sits in the womb and it stops an egg being able to implant, basically. The downside to it is that in some women, and quite commonly actually, it can make periods heavier and more painful Mm. so if you've tolerated it for a few months and it's not getting any better then actually having it taken out might be a good thing and possibly replaced with the marina coil which is the coil that does secrete um progestogen but just locally into the womb um and with that one you get the opposite periods tend to pretty much go away or they're very light and you just get a bit of spotting Gosh, bless you. Well, well, the last one we've got is from Daisy. And I think actually we answered this earlier, speaking about um, the warehouse and the actual product line. Um, My boyfriend is five years older than me. And although I'm still in my, oh, she's put in inverted commas, in my prime. Good girl. (laughs) Go, girl. Yeah. um, I worry about his sperm count going down. Um, Should I be concerned? Okay. My initial reaction is, yeah, tell him to get it checked. But you've given us a clue there. Even though you haven't told us your age, you've said that he's five years older than you. Now, a woman's rapid decline in fertility starts at 35. For Mm. men, it's about 45. So actually, annoyingly, if he's five years older than you, Mm. then from a fertility due to age point of view, you're probably sort of level pegging. So interesting. There you go. Depends how old he is. (laughs) Okay, so it depends how old Daisy. Now... Thank you, Zoe. It's now moving me on to my favourite part, which is the fact or fiction round. (laughs) Are you ready? Well, no, because when it comes to medical things, it's never black and white. But go on, let's give it a go. Am I allowed to caveat? You can caveat. That's what makes the beauty of these fact and fiction rounds, that you are all medics and professionals doing them. (laughs) Okay. Certain sex positions increase your chances of getting pregnant. Fiction, but if it makes it more fun and you're going to do it more often, then maybe. (laughs) Brilliant answer. Sugar negatively impacts fertility. Okay, I'm going to say fiction, Mm -hmm. um, but obviously if you're having lots and lots and lots and lots of it and that's making you unhealthy, then Mm -hmm. it it could do. I I couldn't agree more. All moderation, guys. Being on the pill for more than five years affects fertility. Fiction. Men are fertile for longer than women. Fact. Hot flushes and dizziness during menopause are normal. Fact, but you don't have to tolerate them if they're making you miserable. Excellent to hear. Women can get pregnant right up until menopause. Fact. Weight loss helps fertility. Um, 
fact, if you're struggling with your fertility and you're carrying excess body fat for some people? Well answered, because remember, lifestyle plays a role here, guys. We don't know anything about your lifestyle. Having said that, actually, if somebody is carrying an an excessive amount of additional body fat Mm. and they're struggling with fertility, then weight loss might just be the the most single most important thing thing to to help you get pregnant. Yeah. Now, this is one of my favourite questions. Eating figs aids fertility. (laughs) Um... I'm going to say fiction, but you're the nutritionist here. Can can they? They're very nutritious fruit. No, unfortunately, no soul item. But I'm just addicted to figs, and there depends are those myths. You, it depends what you're doing with the figs. No, let's not. <laughs> let's just not even go there. Let's not go there. We've got two more keto diets can increase fertility. Uh, well, I, I'm going to say the word can means that that is fact it Mm -hmm. can it's not necessarily recommended to the typical person but there will be some scenarios if that keto diet was as an intervention to help somebody improve their health in a certain way to have the knock-on effect that they could get more be more fertile essentially it could be so interesting but generally speaking guys just healthy balanced diet again (laughs) (laughs) there is no one type of contraceptive that works for everyone fact but condoms are the only type of contraceptive that will protect you from stis bingo zoe (laughs) i think you answered that sterlingly you did really well thank you now that nearly wraps up this episode but as with every guest we finish with a food for thought Uh, So mine to Jay would be that when it comes to fertility and nutrition, our diets can really play a role in our chances of conceiving. And it's like Zoe said earlier, it's a positive thing that we actually have control over. So for women, the current research suggests that a balanced and varied diet similar to that of the Mediterranean diet can be beneficial. And as we've also mentioned, research suggests that folate B12, omega-3 fatty acids and vitamin D can all positively impact fertility in men. You just don't get away with it that easily because a man's diet is equally important when it comes to fertility. And again, a balanced and varied diet. I mean, you're going to be sick of me saying all things in moderation here because it's all I seem to ever say, but it is so true. Please try and reduce red and processed meats, fizzy drinks and trans fats if they're very high in your diet. You do need to get sufficient levels of zinc, folate and antioxidants. These should all be accounted for. So ultimately, for anyone that's struggling to conceive or wanting some nutritional advice in the world of fertility, please seek out help from your GP or a registered nutritionist or dietitian. So Zoe, if you could leave everyone, and actually I think you're so perfectly placed for today's food for thought because obviously you've experienced this yourself and you've investigated these discussions. If you could leave our listeners with one helpful thing, what would that be? I think it would be if you're listening to this podcast and you want to have children or have more children in the future, just do a little bit of groundwork, have a look at some of the statistics around fertility and have a think about what your options are. And if you're with a partner and you're happy and you're saying, we're just going to give it a few more years, maybe don't give it so many years. That's really, really good to hear. Zoe, thank you so much for coming on Food for Thought. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening. It really is heartening to know there's such a craving to hear from expert voices in a world full of confusing advice. If you enjoyed this episode, you'll love what's coming next week. So make sure you click subscribe to be the first to hear it. 
and please do leave a five-star review. It really does help to get our podcast out there and hopefully help more people. So we'd really appreciate it. For more information about my Retrition Clinic books, healthy recipes, events, retreats, and so much more, please visit retrition.com, subscribe to my newsletter, and follow me at Retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mm. 